Hey y'all, I'm Blake Hawkins here with the Kentucky Welding Institute and I'm joined with Mackenzie Scherr. Uh, I run Up and Smoke Welding Apparel. I think today we're mostly just going to be talking about the differences uh, between pipeline welding, which is what you started out doing, and some refinery work or just uh, single hand work, welding TIG rigs and stuff. Yeah, so Basically, I got into welding probably, uh, it would have been 2005. So I'm out of Canada, um, so it's a little different up there. You can't just get your certifications and then go out and weld. We do three years of schooling, um, and that's the weld pipe. So you got to do three years of schooling, and then from there, you go graduate, get your journeyman ticket, and then from there, you're able to go and get your B-pressure ticket. So B-pressure allows you to get into pressure piping, and then really from there, you can go and get all your different, uh, your stainless, your Inconels, um, downhand tickets, small bore, all that different type of stuff. So yeah, I basically kind of worked by hand probably for about three years. And then the last of it pretty much was rig welding all over the uh, Western side of Canada. So it was, uh, it's a lot different. I know in the comparison with this video, we're talking kind of the differences between rig welding and single hand. So I don't know a whole lot about that down this way. So you kind of let me know and we'll, we'll compare. Ah, uh, well, I guess one of the, well, a lot of the things I do at the school at the end of the day, we'll do a, like a Q and a, uh, so one of the questions I get asked a lot is camper, or no camper. Were you a camper guy yourself? So it really depends. So up north, we have massive oil fields, and on those oil field sites, a lot of them have massive, like, I think the biggest man camp I was in, there was a 10,000 man camp spread between five different camps. So the way a lot of it works in the northern section of Alberta, where I'm from, is you basically fly in. So they'll get you on a 747 jet. They got their own airport on site. You fly up there. Um, obviously, the first shift, you got to get your welding truck up there. And then after that, you basically fly in and fly out and you're stuck in these massive camps. So they feed you, they shower you, they got bedding, absolutely everything. They got gyms, they got arcades. It's awesome. Um, but it depends. So you got that side and then you start working in a lot more remote areas uh, where the sites aren't as big. And those sites, they basically give you what's called LOA. So a live out allowance. And you could either bring your camper up. Or for me, I never really had a camper. So I basically found a condo or a townhouse in basically any town that I was in. And I just rented a condo or a townhouse for the length of the job. And that's the way I kind of did it. Well, I guess you've done it a whole lot like my myself would do or a lot of the other people I've worked around. I, I never personally had a camper uh, myself. I always only going to jobs for a few months at a time. So I never seen the need to haul a camper down there. I'd just stay in a hotel or... Yeah. Uh, what a lot of people I see doing now are the Airbnbs. Yeah. Uh, you're able to rent those out for long periods of time. Uh, well, especially when you get into jobs where you're not guaranteed the length of time. And honestly, being in the oil patch, that's one thing that these kids coming in got to understand is not every job is as long as the boss says it's going to be. They usually feed you a line to get you in. You go in there expecting kind of like two weeks to a month and then kind of get a feel from it. And then you kind of know from there. But for me, I always lived in the city. So to have a big, massive trailer, I couldn't put it anywhere. I couldn't put it on my property because I lived <coughs> on a, a smaller city lot and most, uh, most of the homes I've lived at throughout my life. So for me, a camper just never really made sense for me. Yeah, yeah. 
Now that's another thing that always deterred me from it was I'm not much of a camping guy. So if I was to have the camper myself, yeah. just to go out and work would be fine. But whenever I'm not working, I'm gonna have to use this thing as a lawn ornament sitting in front of the house. Exactly, and it's it's just it's another payment. I see a lot of kids. They they ask the question. Well, it's a good it's a good write off. Hundred percent. If you're into camping, that is one of those things that for a company write off, you could save a ton of taxes on. So that is one thing to kind of look at and consider. Um, but yeah, for me, camping, I'm not a camper man. Never have been, so it didn't make sense to me. And I know a lot of people they justify it. I mean, a camper lot rent for a month, say anywhere from eight hundred to five hundred a month. Uh, compared to a week per hotel, wherever you go. Uh, so, I mean, the, the cost, you're going to save a lot of money there, but then you got your camper note, yep. and then you got to be able to keep the upkeep of the camper as well. Uh, you definitely don't want to be blowing no tires going on a trip. You got to leave a few days early just in, so you can factor that possibility in. But I think a, another big thing that a lot of people don't factor into it. I'm 36, I got into welding when I was 18. I stopped welding in 2014 when I started my apparel company. But within that almost 10 years of welding, I went through three downturns where you couldn't buy a job. And so a lot of people got to understand that when the money stops coming in, the leasing company, they don't care. They want their $1,000 a month or 700 or whatever it is. And so that's another factor that you got to bring in is, okay, if this job doesn't work out or I can't find work, I got to figure out how to pay possibly the next two, three, four months worth of payments when I got nothing coming in. So that is a big thing that I think people have to factor in. And that's why I always liked condos and townhouses is I basically went into each place talking with the owner saying, Hey, this is what I'm being told. I got X amount of months here. This isn't a guaranteed. I'm going to rent this on a month by month basis. And then at least if let's say on the third week or the seventh week or something like that, they say, Hey, job's done, you call up that owner and say, hey, I'm done, you got my money till the end of this month, and I'm out. And a lot of those people kind of get it when you tell them month to month at the beginning, it's month to month, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing you don't want to tell a lot of people coming in is don't be living outside your means, right? Don't be blowing all that money fast, because I mean, your first check coming in, you're, you're pocketing 2,500 bucks, uh, but those checks are only gonna last about a month, and you're yeah. gonna have a two month dry spell. Uh, so I, I, it's going to be hard to We've seen that. Out. I always saw that meme and I loved it because I, I called one of my buddies this. Um, you ever see that, the movie Dumb and Dumber, yeah. where they come in in the orange and baby blue tuxedo? That's how like rig welders are right when they come in, man. They're just flashing friggin' money, chucking it everywhere. I did the same thing when I was yeah. 20. When you're walking in with a $15,000 paycheck, it is the best thing in the entire world. But yeah, you have to learn quick that if you are going to make that money, you also got to be able to put it away for those rainy days because shit, man, they come around a lot more than people think. Oh yeah. Right. You got to be smart with your money for sure. So what made you get in? So what made you stay single hand? Why didn't you go the rig welding route? I guess personally myself, I don't guess I ever really hit a dry spell enough. I kept busy enough doing refinery work, boiler work, even some nuclear work uh, to keep me busy. Uh, and making good money. I, I, I would have, I would personally like the opportunity to go and rig well just to be able to say that I've done it and experienced that. Yeah. Because uh, I'm sure you can learn a lot uh, from that side of things. Uh, but I was always, I always had the opportunity to work somewhere, or whether it be one refinery down here in Baytown or uh, 
I actually got the chance to work with SpaceX down in Cape Canaveral. Cool. Uh, so, I mean, the work was always there for me. I never really had a, uh, a point in time where I was looking for work. Yes. So. I think for me, getting in the rig, well, the thing I love the most, if I'm going to be doing it, I'm going to be making the most amount of money as possible. Um, I grew up in a section of the world that when I got into the patch, it was booming. Um, so I got in, I always welded a lot, um, throughout my entire apprenticeship, but I didn't learn how to fit everywhere. I went taught me how to weld and I didn't learn how to fit. Now I could weld really, really good. But when I got out into the industry and I think it's a learning lesson and that's why when I came down to KWI there and some of the other schools that I've seen throughout the country, they are starting to bring that pipe fitting aspect into the schooling. So for me, when I got out, that was a huge learning curve, especially being a rig welder, because you're making that big money. You better know how to do absolutely everything. And you see a lot of guys just putting a welder in the back of the truck and throwing some leads in the back and a stinger and a helmet and a couple grinders. And they think they're a rig welder. Um, you're going to look bad real quick if you don't know how to do a good majority of things. You can fake it till you make it on most things, but you know you have to know how to do quite a bit. So I always recommend for guys coming out of school or just getting in an industry, go work by hand. It's, to me, I think that's super important. Learn how to fit, learn how to weld, learn how to weld out of position, learn how to read prints, learn how to do all those things because I think it's going to make you a better rig welder. I think if I were to do it again, I probably would have learned the pipe fitting aspect a little bit more. You don't have to know everything. Most jobs you go to, you have fitters. But, and I knew the basis of it, but when you are basically backed up into a hooch and they give you a pile of fittings and a blueprint and say, well, and you got no fitter, you're going to learn real damn quick. And I did. It took me a while. I was never the fastest welder, but I always passed my x-rays. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing I always recommend. I think if I were to redo it, I would have stayed by hand a little bit longer, learned how to do some other aspects of the trade because there's so much. And then uh, probably would have got into rig welding after that if I were to redo it again. Yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket or one skill. Uh, you want to be very versatile. And I think that's something that we try to teach there at Kentucky Welding Institute. We, we do it all we, from the welding. Uh, we do pipe fitting. We go over blueprints. And another thing that we're getting into quite a bit now is the rigging and signaling. Yep. Uh, so whenever you're in these refineries, you don't have to wait on uh, your rigger or whoever it is to come fly the pipe in for you to weld. You can yep. uh, you can rig it up yourself, fly it in yourself, and uh, then you can weld it yourself. Uh, so being a jack of all trades kind of deal. Well, you know what, 100%, and honestly, I was never a TIG welder, never had the patience for it. It's not my thing. Um, but I was lucky enough that I was always able to go from job to job to job after a while and rely on the skills that I had built up over the years. But there were some jobs I could have stayed longer if I knew how to weld stainless or in canal or any of that other specialty type stuff or knew how to TIG weld. Can I TIG weld? Yeah, I can TIG weld. Am I good at it? Hell no. Um, so that's, that's just one of those things, right? So I think having that versatility and that's what I really appreciated about your guys' school when I finally got to get down there here in April is you guys teach absolutely everything. And I think that's a really good way to make a well-rounded tradesman. hundred percent. Right. Yeah, we've had several students here recently and beforehand that I know of they've, they've come back and they'll tell us stories and stuff and uh, things to hit on, but they'll tell us about how 
their foreman or supervisor, whoever it is, finds out that they are able to rig and signal, they'll they'll call them in two weeks before the job starts, so that way they can help unload the trailers and stuff. And they're going to be making welder pay because yep. that's what they're hired to do. Yep. But that, they have all these other skills uh, there with them, uh, so they're going to be two weeks before the job starts, run through the job welding, and then usually two weeks after the job starts to demob and. Uh, it all back out. And that's the thing is once you kind of get it, when you're the first one in and you're the last one out, you know exactly who that construction manager is looking at. He's been here since day one and he's here with us on the last day. Hey man, I got another four month gig. Oh, yeah. You want to come along with us, right? So it makes you invaluable. Um, I definitely, I, I had my moments throughout my career where I didn't do that. Um, and it, maybe would have changed a few things. Um, don't burn, don't burn bridges. Yeah. And that is, that's another big one. I think that for the people coming into this trade is it is a really, really, really small industry. Um, word travels fast, right? Um, I burnt a bridge or two, man. I, I think most people have in their lives. It's just one of those things, but now, as I've gotten older and wiser, you got you got to uh, you you kind of see that, right? And uh, it's something that I maybe shouldn't have done or looked at it a different way. But uh, yeah, so working with SpaceX, that's that's pretty cool. That's that was uh, pretty neat. I got to I was working on the same launch pad that they launched Neil Armstrong off of to go to the moon. No kidding. That was pretty neat. Yeah. So what did you all do there? It was all stainless. Okay. Yeah, so it was all anything from thin wall to heavy wall. We were welding up some of the fuel lines, coolant lines, and stuff to go to the rocket before the launch. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I never got to really do anything super cool for that. I, I, I think the specialist, like the most special thing I kind of did was doing like cold water piping and all that for like all the uh, X-ray machines at hospitals. Um, got to work in some museums, but most of the stuff I did basically through all my career was pretty much all oil patch. Um, it's pretty much the only industry where I'm at, so. It's starting to diversify a bit, but um, yeah, it's kind of like Texas, man. It's it's oil patch and die down here, right? Um, well, I mean, there's been good money in it for a long time, so I mean, why would you, why would you try to change it? Well, that's exactly it. So what would you recommend? So you obviously, you work out of school, you instruct all these kids. It's the number one thing that these kids are wanting to do is become a rig welder. Is that like the main goal? That's what a lot of them come in to do. Uh, and then, I mean, a lot of them, they do come out and go and hit that rig welder path. But that, something that I have seen is that rig welder, it's a hard job to get into. You, you've got to know somebody for sure to be able to get into it. And one thing that we always try to tell our students uh, to start out is try to start out as a helper yep. first. Because that's the only way you're going to learn the majority of the stuff that you need to know on yep. the rig or the line uh, is to start out as a helper and then once you get your foot in the door, then you can try to take that uh, yep. test. Because there's only so many things we can teach you there at the school. We can teach you how to pass that test. Yep. Uh, just passing that test, that ain't going to keep that job. You might be able to pass the test, but you ain't going to. Uh, so when these kids come back and they've done their first couple gigs, do they have a? Do they come back and they're like, wasn't expecting that? Because you guys have a lifetime. You guys have lifetime practice where a, a student can come back and learn how to do something else or kind of brush up on the skills that he already has. Have you had a lot of kids come back and they're like, holy shit, this was a lot more different than I thought it was going to be out there or no? No, usually the one thing that everybody comes back and says is that we were a whole lot more strict than industry is. 
and I think that's a good thing to that have. That is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, I mean, I know I've had several students come back and tell me that you, well, we were a lot more strict than what they were out there, and I do think that's a good thing to be, because uh, you're setting a high standard. Right? If, if our standard's so high and they're they're blowing through our test all the time with such a high standard, then out in the real world shouldn't be an issue. Should be as hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something going out into the field. And it's the one thing I actually, I wish I would have been able to do something later on in my life with the school that I went to. But that was a, that was a huge factor in how I was educated with uh, the school that I went to, which is one of the biggest schools in Southern Alberta there, which is state. But they didn't, you just weld in a booth. And that's the one thing of, coming down here to the U S and working with all these different schools and being able to travel to all these different facilities is you guys put the kids in real life situations. And I was fortunate enough that throughout my entire apprenticeship, all I did was weld and I got in some really goofy situations where it is not comfortable. You could not see what you're welding. You are using a mirror or you're bending a 14 inch rod at one and a half inches and wrapping your arm around a bunch of pipe to get a weld that you're looking at a lens over here that's bouncing here and whatever, right? So I, I, that's what I've really appreciated, especially about your guys' school is that you guys really educate these kids as much as you can in those real life situations. Because when you get out there, man, welding is not welding in a booth. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we can only simulate it so much because yep. we, we are a school, uh, but I mean, that's something that we try to do. And that's, that's part of the reason we always send our instructors back out uh, every so often to go work on a job just to see uh, what experiences they run into on those jobs. Then they bring that experience back. Uh, and that's something that we always try to instill in the, the program at that point in time, just to help, help get those students ready uh, for that. But uh, like you said, there, there's only so many uh, simulators that we could, we could have or make making people weld out of out of position or on a different machine or on the floor standing up in a harness in a rack yeah uh, there's only so many things as a school that we can do to prepare them uh, for that real world because in the real world i mean you're only going to have not unless you're in a fab shop position where you're always welding out of a jack stand most time you're going to be in a bind yep uh, and it's and they're going to expect the same out of you as they would as if you were welding in a jack stand 100 yep. percent expectations gonna be the same yeah 100 percent. so i think a lot of people want to know i think the biggest reason anyone wants to become a rig welder is money so going i guess for me in the industry that i was in within canada your average rate was anywhere depending on the time of year i shouldn't say time of year I started in 2007, so that rig rate was around that $85, $90 an hour. And now, right now, I've talked to some of my boys back home right now, and they're making anywhere from around $110 to $120 an hour. Diesel supplied on most jobs, grinding discs, a lot of uh, welding jackets, gloves, all that different type of stuff. So I think that's why a lot of guys get into it. But there's also really good money in being single-handed doing that. So what was like the average wage that you would kind of come in if you were doing, let's say, like, the specialty metals and that type of stuff. So I'd say just being like a combo pipe builder coming out, uh, bottom dollar would probably be around 32 an hour. Uh, but where you get into the, once you get that much experience into you and you got the knowledge, uh, you're able to go out and hit some of these specialty jobs. And on those jobs, you were making double time. Uh, so I actually had the opportunity to work with uh, a double time company, SWS. Okay. 
Uh, so you're making 40 an hour and doubles. Uh, so on, and the way they've done it was anything after eight hours was double time. So, so 40 and 80? Yeah. And you're probably working a 12, 12 hour day? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So 80 bucks an hour for four hours of the day. Yeah. Even 40 is a fantastic wage and you can live off of it. Oh, yeah. Right? And you can pocket a lot of money quick. Yep. I think, I think a lot of people got to understand when they get into rig welding that it's all on you. It's now your company. You got to go out and create your image. You got to go out and create your, um, your clout basically. And you got to go out and make those relationships. It's not just, it's not super easy to just go up to a job and do that. And I think everyone just looks at it. It's just oil patch. No, man, there's so much other stuff out there. Oil patch is a little bit easier. Yeah. You got to know someone to get into it, but like not everyone's an oil patch and it depends where you are within the country. Right. If you're going to become a rig welder, let's say in the Midwest, you're not doing those type of jobs. You're doing like handrail stuff. You might be doing structural stuff at a meat plant or whatever. So you got to go out and build those relationships. It's your company getting that contract. So I think for a lot of people, I think working single hand, I, I think is a great way to start. And I think it's a way people should start going into the industry. Right. Most definitely. A lot, I mean, I, a lot easier, I think, to to get so many more opportunities out there to get get financially stable to where you look look toward that rig welding path. Yep. Well, even for me, man, like I'll, I'll, I'll share a story. I'm not embarrassed by it. When I, when I first got into rig welding, money was good and she was doing really well. I went out, bought a $70,000 70, one-ton diesel, built my skid. Um, so we run, we run, I guess you guys call them tub decks or something like that up here. So basically skid unit goes in the back of the truck, had toolboxes, bought the welding machine, bought all my tools. Um, my journeyman that I was apprenticing under being his helper, got me a job doing uh, pile splicing, had a job making 80 bucks an hour, 85 at the time, had it for two weeks. And that was it. Just, it shut down just like that. And the industry kind of bottomed out and I couldn't buy work. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't find work anywhere, even in a shop. And I almost went three months, um, without being able to find work, even in a shop. And I went back to doing concrete. This is when I first started out. Like I was new. I wasn't even a journeyman really at that point yet. I was still an apprentice, third year apprentice. And it damn near sunk me. And I had to get my parents to help me out, make my truck payment for a couple months until I got my feet back underneath me. And then I got a job welding with my truck again, shit paid them off in the first two weeks. And then for the rest of my career, never had an issue. But I think going back to the whole trailer thing is when you're a rig welder, man, the bank doesn't give a damn if you don't have a job. So if you're going to go and invest the big money into a truck, be prepared to have some money put away from it and realize that if times get tough, those payments are still coming out. So I think that's another from my personal experience, that's what happened to me. And I was fortunate enough that my parents were able to help me out at that time. I think I was only 20, almost 21. So yeah, I almost got caught with it. But after that, it was always had money put aside, made sure things were paid off, saved money. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of my experience going through it all. Well, you got a hard lesson quick then, I'd say. Oh, you're dead. Yeah, absolutely, man. But you know what? It made me, made me a better person. Um, and I think, I think one thing guys getting out into that industry is just be financially smart. You make a lot of money in this trade, but you can lose it super quick too. But, uh, you could also live a pretty darn good life. So 
I love welding. Welding's been an amazing, uh, amazing part of my journey. And I recommend anyone looking to get into the trade, go for it because you ain't going to find a better trade. Well, I think that's about all we got here. This I think that's all we Mike got. Hawkins again with Absolutely. Mac. Absolutely, yeah. man. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys.